Welcome back to another edition of the Full Tank with Phil podcast. And I have to tell you, I might have been one of the only people in America that was jumping for joy when Denny Hamlin drove past Matt DiBenedetto at Bristol with 14 laps remaining because when you're the guy who took Hamlin to win and DiBenedetto to finish in the top 10, you're going to cash in after that happens. And um, even though it would have been a great story to see, everyone would have loved it. I was... uh, cheering myself to the bank because it really cashed in and anybody was listening to the Bristol preview podcast episode you might have cashed in too so welcome back that was Bristol it was a great race we got to love the night races and I'm thrilled that we have another one coming up again this week after the week off for the cup series because we're going to Darlington Raceway it's the Bojangles Southern 500 all the nicknames for this track, Too Tough to Tame, The Lady in Black, whatever it is that you want to call it, no matter what, it's a mile, little over a mile and a third racetrack, and it's definitely going to give these drivers fits. And I, for one, am very excited to see how it all plays out on Sunday night under the lights. So tons of stuff to talk about. We're going to obviously talk money line picks to win, but leading into that, I want to talk a little bit about what I saw this week with the lines as they came out, the, the Tuesday opening lines. And then I also want to talk about what I've seen today in practice. So full disclosure, this is the first time I'm recording a podcast where qualifying hasn't taken place yet. That's happening on Saturday afternoon, and I just didn't want to wait that long to put something out there. So I want to talk about the lines when they came out. I want to talk about practice. Then we'll get to the picks that I have and you know, sometimes it may be who not to pick. In this case, um, I do have a strategy in mind, and it's a pretty easy one. And then we're going to talk head-to-head, jump right into that, because uh, I have some matchups that I like and matchups that I want to stay away from. Maybe try to put together a parlay. I'll have to take a look at what's out there. Then what's becoming my favorite, actually, is the top 10 money line picks. That's very entertaining. Uh, for anyone who's betting on those guys to try to sneak in. It worked out for me at Bristol with my DiBenedetto. God, that's a mouthful to say, the Matt DiBenedetto pick, the 95 team, short way of saying it. That cashed in for me, as I said. So we're going to try to see if we can sneak another one in this week at Darlington. Then from there, I actually want to take a look at the option to bet on what driver you think is going to win out of the different manufacturers, so who the best Toyota car will be, Chevy, Ford. And then I'm going to make a pick for which manufacturer I think is going to win, and we'll take a look at what the odds are, the money line odds are right now for that. So a lot to get to. And then at the end, as always, I'm going to end with a rant. I need to come up with a name for this segment, but uh, a way that I think 
betting on NASCAR could be improved. And this again, if anyone listened to my Phil Saves NASCAR episode, this is sort of touching on the lines of making NASCAR better as well. So we'll get to that at the very end. And and that's going to be really around how everyone's calling Darlington a crown jewel race, how it's a big race for the drivers. So we're going to touch on how to make that into something that NASCAR could benefit from. So whole lot of stuff to get to. We will not beat around the bush anymore. So I want to start by talking about what I saw on Tuesday when the lines opened up for the odds to win the race at Darlington this Sunday. And it was something strange because normally I open up DraftKings and I open up FanDuel because those are very easy to access. I have the apps for both and you know I don't bet through either one of those, but I just like to go there for the odds. And normally it's the same every single time for both of them, but I just like to go for my own point of reference. This week though, I saw a significant difference, which is strange to me. So we're going to gather a point that I'm leading up to for this. But FanDuel had Kyle Busch plus 350 as the heavy favorite. Second favorite was like plus 600. It was probably Kozlowski, I believe. And I remember thinking that's weird because, you know, FanDuel, somebody must be asleep at the wheel over there. It just seems like a lazy line to put out. Then I go to DraftKings expecting to see the same, and I saw a completely different list. Kyle Larson was the favorite, and he was plus 600. Bush, Harvick, and Kozlowski, and Hamlin were all right behind him at plus 650. But there were two things here. One, the fact that DraftKings had Larson as the favorite, that sent off you know kind of a trigger in my mind. And the fact that there was such a difference in the lines themselves. I mean, the favorite to be plus 600... I typically try to avoid the favorite, but at that value, that's not that bad. So I, I took note of that. But the other thing is, it's now Friday when I'm recording this. The lines have moved significantly for the first time in a long time. And I don't know if that's because the books are just picking up maybe the, the past history at the tracks or whatever, or people are actually throwing a lot of money in and it's moving the lines. Because right now, both DraftKings and FanDuel are in sync, and Denny Hamlin has moved to the top of the board as the favorite. And right now, I can get him at plus 600 as we speak, which, again, is decent value. Now, Larson has dropped to uh, further down the list. I'll have to pull that up in a second. But my whole point being here is that I don't think the books have any idea what's going to take place in this race coming up. They do not have a handle on it. And when I see inconsistency and I see confusion on the side of the books, you're so used to gambling and and feeling like the house is always right. In this case, it seems like there's some chaos there. So I see that as an opportunity to pounce. The second thing that lends itself to that theory is practice today. Now, practice one was you know, pretty standard, nothing too crazy, people really just doing shorter runs. But in practice two, we had guys putting in long runs to try to see how their cars would react. And we're going to get to those results when we talk about the money line picks. But we had some craziness happen in practice that's making you think that this race could be absolutely nuts. We had Ricky Stenhouse and Kyle Larson both blow 
left front tires in practice. And when the pit reporters were asking them, like, hey, did you run anything over? Both of them said no. It was tire wear. And one of them was only out there for like 13 laps. Very strange. The announcers were talking about how because of this package, this rules package, they have never seen drivers taking it into turn one at Darlington full throttle, wide open. And they were saying that that's going to cause tire wear issues. And sure enough, in the second practice, we saw two tires go down. Then, as you typically you know, see at Darlington, I mean, we always talk about the Darlington stripe, people hitting the wall. But we saw that happen twice significantly in practice, too. Martin Truex, as the camera was on him, scraped the wall pretty bad. And, you know, he, he stopped practicing after that. He took it to pit road. But then we saw Eric Amarola, who was having a good practice session. He was seventh on the board at the moment, smacked the wall so hard that he had to go to a backup car. And that's just nuts. So that's making me think that this race has potential to really get out of control with, with tires going down. I mean, there's going to be strategy involved. You're going to have, you know, people wrecking on the track, having to avoid it. You're going to have guys getting knocked out for nothing wrong of their own doing. And that type of atmosphere makes me drift towards the veterans, the guys who have been there before, the guys who know how to get it done, the guys you trust, the guys with great teams behind them. And that's why I'm probably going to lean towards not going for those long shot victories, as I've maybe said in the past, you know, the the guys who are like plus 2,500 and and throwing money on them. I'm going to spend my money on the guys who are further up on the money line list, probably more of the favorites that you're seeing out there. And, you know, just kind of hope that everything works out, that those guys are the guys who are going to be able to get it done. So I'm probably going to still spread it out because I haven't been able to see any one person kind of rise to the top as the guy you want to throw all your money on, like Chase Elliott at Watkins Glen, like Kevin Harvick at Michigan, I'm still going to spread it out, but it's going to be more of the favorites. Now, I did mention that I am making these picks before qualifying, so I'm going to try to use track history to my advantage here. And looking at some of the stats of Darlington of the past, there's been 115 races there, so that's a big sample size. And what I'm seeing there is over time, there's really one thing to think about when we're talking about qualifying position, and that's drivers who qualify outside of the top 20. Because drivers that have done that have only won the race six times out of 115. So that's about 5%. So what I'm saying there is if I'm making a pick, and then I see this guy go out on Saturday afternoon and qualify terribly. I'm definitely going to think twice about actually putting my money in when push comes to shove because 5% of the time is absurd. Now, we're not talking about guys who qualify well and then start in the back due to a maybe an engine change or you know some other type of uh, decision made by the crew chief or what have you. Those guys I would still feel comfortable throwing my money on, but... If you go out and you qualify outside of the top 20, history says that at Darlington, you have a long shot to win this race. And just for the history buffs out there, one of those six wins happened to be the first race ever at Darlington in 1950. So, I mean, you almost have to count that as an outlier and say there's only been really five. I mean, it's just such a long time ago that it's really uh, crazy to think about. So we're going to keep that in mind as we're placing the bets. 
So if we want to start naming names, let's get to the person who you kind of have to start every conversation with first at Darlington, and that's Denny Hamlin. Of all active drivers, he is the person with the highest average finishing position at 6.2. That is extremely good, very good finishing position on average uh, at any racetrack. And Darlington is a tough one, and he's got a very high number there. So that's why it starts and ends with Denny Hamlin. Um, that's why it's no surprise that the book's kind of adjusted and we saw Hamlin as the favorite going off at plus 600. He's had two wins here overall with seven top fives. I mean, that's very good, and that's over a long period of time. That's 13 or 14 races total for him. So that tells you that he can get it done really in all environments. Think of how many race packages that's been, different types of race cars that he's driven in. Um, So that's a long period of time. Makes you really like him. Now, if we want to talk about how practice went for Denny today, it went very well. When we're talking about those lap averages, he did really well in the second practice. If we're trying to pull this up now, five lap average, it was Denny Hamlin in second overall. Then with 10 lap average speed, he dropped to third overall, stayed at third for 15, and then at 20, he dropped down to four. What we're trying to say here is Denny's got a fast car, and at plus 600, that's a damn good value, especially for the favorite. So I'm going to put money on Denny Hamlin. I'm going against my gut because my gut, as I've said before, I don't like betting on back-to-back winners. He won at Bristol, as we mentioned earlier. He would be back-to-back if he were to win at Darlington, I'm still going to do it anyway. I mean, my mind is overriding my gut in this scenario, and I just like him too much in this spot. So we're going to go put some money on Denny Hamlin this weekend too. After that, I'm going to place a bet that I've been really dying to make for a long time now, and I've just had to, based on my own strategy, had to avoid it, and that's putting some money on Kyle Busch. I'm finally going to pull the trigger on that for a bunch of different reasons. One, Kyle is in his prime right now, and he's going through a 10-race winless streak. He's got four wins already this year, and you just kind of feel like he is so close to, you know, every week he's the guy to beat, it seems like, heading into the track, um, and it hasn't worked out. He's been in a little bit of a slump, so I feel like this is a track where he could do that. Second, he's been phenomenal, just like Denny was in practice this or earlier this afternoon when it came to 5, 10, 15, and 20 lap averages. He was second overall except for the five lapper, which Denny was second. So again, it tells you that he has a fast race car and we know that he's somebody who can get the job done at Darlington. 14 starts there for Bush. He's got one win, three top fives, nine top tens, average finish of 11.6. I mean, he's very good there, I would say. So at plus 650, that is the best value that I'm seeing for Kyle Busch in a long time. That's what's making me jump on it. In addition to that, something I noticed as I was looking up some some track history here is that since 2013, Joe Gibbs Racing has won every other year. 2013, it was Matt Kenseth. It was Carl Edwards in 2015. Two years ago, it was Denny Hamlin. This year, if we're going to continue that trend with Joe Gibbs winning, why wouldn't it be 
Kyle Busch. I mean, he's the staple of that organization, and he's not part of that pattern. So I'd say it fits perfectly if you're a degenerate like me and you're looking for straws to grasp at. I'm locking in Kyle Busch at plus 650 for sure. The next guy I want to talk about is Kyle Larson. He's going off right now at plus 650. I would have to imagine that that's going to drop. So if you can get it at 650, do it. I would take Kyle you know, as low as like plus 400, which is rare for me. Um, Kyle dominated second practice. All of the lap averages, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30. He was in first place, best average all around. Um, that's what you love to see if you're going to bet on somebody to win the race. You just need to know that they have a fast race car. Um, in addition to that, Kyle Larson, he just needs a win so badly for his own mental health, it feels like. And it has never felt like Kyle has had a chance going in kind of off the truck like this in a really long time. So if you can get Kyle Larson anywhere from plus 400 on down, um, like right now, plus 650, it, it would make total sense to throw some money on the 42. The only thing that scares me is the fact that he blew that tire in practice. Um, I don't know if that impacted the car at all. I don't think so. They didn't really seem to make a big deal about that. But, um, you know, the fact that the, the car's pushing the tires that badly and it went, um, that's a little concerning. You know, maybe he is one of those guys that's going to cause some of the chaos on Sunday night, but I'm willing to take that risk with the 42, and uh, I'm going to go with, with Kyle Larson for sure. If we want to talk about taking a little bit of a flyer on somebody, Eric Jones is that person. I know that I've mentioned him before. He doesn't really show up on a lot of people's radar only because he's only been to this track two times, and he's had a top five and a top ten. So if you look at active drivers with no minimum requirements as far as the races are concerned, he's actually second in uh, average finishes at 6.5. So um, nothing, I don't want to look too far into that, but the point being here is that he, in his limited experience here, has done well at a very notable, difficult racetrack, and he's up in the speed charts in practice uh, in all of them, the, the average finishes, or excuse me, average lap times, uh, 5 to 30, he's up there in the top 10. So, you know, he's going off at plus 1,400 right now. That's very good value for someone who I think has potential to, to win it. So um, that would also fall into the uh, Gibbs pattern of every other year. So I'm going to take a flyer on Eric Jones for sure. And then I'm going to go with a little bit of a sympathy pick here. Kurt Busch in the one car. He has 22 races started at Darlington, which he's tied with Kevin Harvick for most all time. And he has the record for most races started without a victory. And he was part of that 2003 finish, the closest finish of all time at Darlington. Ricky Craven beat him out by two one thousandths of a second. And... That is just something that's been haunting him, it seems like. I saw an interview with him today. You could tell that it does bother him, and he is just so anxious to get this monkey off of his back. You take that. I mean, clearly, he, he said every time he comes into Darlington, he's just dying to win a race so he doesn't have to talk about that finish from 2003. 
And if you look at the practice charts, he's in the top 10. No matter what chart you're looking at, he's up there. So he's driving a pretty cool whip this week, cool paint scheme. Um, we'll talk about those in a second. But he's he's somebody, he's going off at plus 2,000 right now. So 20 to 1 for Kurt Busch. I'm, I'm definitely going to throw something on him for all of those reasons. Now, I just mentioned the paint schemes. And I didn't mention this at the beginning of the show, but they're doing the throwback weekend yet again. They've started doing this in 2015. It's been a huge success. Darlington encourages the drivers to come to the race with throwback paint schemes. And they've typically been from, you know, a a significant time period. This year, however, it kind of seems like they're just doing whatever they want. I know they said the the whole thing's based around 1990 to 94, but you're seeing paint schemes from all generations. And it's very cool to see when you're gambling on this, I mean, how can you not bet on some of the coolest paint schemes or your favorite ones? Um, my favorite is Landon Castle with the old Sterling Marlin Coors Light car, but who in their right mind is going to throw actual money down on Landon Castle to win a race? Not me. So it kind of sucks. I feel like he's got one of the coolest looking cars. Uh, in terms of someone who I probably wouldn't bet on if it wasn't for the paint scheme this weekend. I'm going to go with Chase Elliott. I think he's got the coolest looking car out there. It's modeled after his dad's car, I think, from 1981, Bill Elliott. Um, A very cool looking paint scheme with the blue and white, kind of an off blue and white paint scheme with a really cool font on the number nine. So he's going off right now at plus 1400, just like Eric Jones. So, I mean cool race car. I don't think he's got the speed. I think uh, typically at Darlington, he hasn't had great success, the success that you'd want to see out of somebody that everyone's kind of thinking will be a future champion. But what the hell? I like the paint scheme. I'm going to go for it. Another guy who I like the paint scheme for, who is going off at plus 5,000, is Daniel Suarez. He's part of a group of three guys from Stuart Haas that are all rocking old Tony Stewart paint schemes. And they've made the Haas logo look just like the old orange Home Depot car for Tony Stewart, which I think is just such a cool car. And they did a really good job of the way it looks, just like the Landon Castle car with the uh, font and everything for the old Coors Light. It's not actually Coors Light. It's like fiber tech or something on Castle's car with Haas. They've basically taking the whole car and anytime it was a Home Depot logo they made the font exactly the same it's very cool look I think he's going to need a lot of things to fall his way if he were to win the race and I honestly think that he's really just worrying about pointing himself into the playoffs at this point so realistically I probably wouldn't bet on him but it's just such a cool car I can't resist I'm that kind of guy so now we're going to switch gears and we're going to start talking about head-to-head matchups a lot of people love betting on head-to-head matchups when it comes to NASCAR. And we're back to my favorite matchup. They took this off the board for Bristol for some reason. And that's going to be Kyle Busch versus Martin Truex Jr. These two are tied 12-12 if you're looking at the season standings versus each other. And I love that. I mean, you wouldn't think that, I don't think, if you were uh, just looking at this from the outside. But this week... 
I told you how I'm all in on Kyle Busch. I'm betting with him here again. They're both going off even right now. They're both the same, rather, uh, minus 115 for both options. I'm going to go hard on Kyle Busch. I'm not loving Martin Truex. I'm going to talk about that again. I'm probably going to take a couple more people against Martin and just hope that something happens there. I didn't like the way he got into the wall earlier. If they're staying with that primary car, it just I know it's small and, and they're geniuses and they can fix it up, but just didn't like the way that looked. So I'm going with Kyle Busch in that head-to-head matchup for sure. Mark that down. Then another one, I typically don't do this, but you know, for talking about favorites versus underdogs, I usually in these head-to-head matchups look for the underdog and try to throw some money on them and get good value. In this case, I'm not going to do that. Denny Hamlin versus Chase Elliott. Hamlin's minus 175 to Chase's one th- uh, plus 130. I'm going to go with Hamlin on this one. I talked all about why I like him, and you know, I said Chase has a cool car, but I don't think he's got the speed this weekend. I'm going to ride with Denny Hamlin in that matchup for sure. Mark that down. You could parlay those two into a nice little uh, combo action and and make it more bang for your buck since Hamlin's going off at minus 175. It's not a great number. The thing that I'm realizing you're going to need to watch out for if you're looking to put parlays in for NASCAR head-to-heads is the fact that it doesn't let me, and maybe there's a book out there that allows you to do anything you want, but it's not allowing me to put a parlay where there are the same drivers in different matchups. So for example, if I were to take Kyle Busch over Truex, I could not parlay that into, say, Kevin Harvick over Truex, because Truex is the common denominator there. They will not allow that. But in this scenario, I'm going to take Kyle to win, and I'm going to take Hamlin to win over Elliott. You could parlay that and, and get a little more bang for your buck. Another matchup that I find interesting right now for this weekend is Kevin Harvick versus Joey Logano. So Harvick is going off at minus 121 compared to Logano, minus 110. I'm going to be all in on Harvick on this one. This matchup is interesting because Logano is running a throwback paint scheme to Kevin Harvick's Daytona win from like 2007 because they have Shell as their primary sponsor. So Shell wanted to throw a, a, a throwback paint scheme together. And Logano put together a, a piece for social media because he ran into Harvick, you know, had a, a couple run-ins with Harvick over the years after that. And he had said that, oh, well, it looks like, you know, we know who wears the fire suit in that relationship, referring to Delano Harvick always wearing the fire suit in uh, on pit road and everything, which was always very weird. But, you know, he took a shot at her. And this week on social media in the reveal for Logano's paint scheme, Logano's wife came out and uh, was wearing a fire suit and basically kicked him out of the promo, poking fun at those comments. Um, Delana Harvick, you know, tweeted that and said, oh, that's really funny for Mrs. Go Mrs. Logano. But I get the sense that these two really don't like each other still. I think it's weird that he's running a throwback for another guy who's in the race. So I'm going Harvick for mainly for that reason. In addition, the throwback is not really that different than what Logano runs every single week with Shell Pennzoil. It's kind of lame, if you ask me. Very lame. Um, so 
In addition to that, Harvick's ran pretty well in practice, uh, better than Logano has earlier today. So we'll see where they qualify. But I'm, I'm going to go with Harvick over Logano in that matchup. I just think it's uh, super weird for Logano. But while we're on the topic of Kevin Harvick, if we want to throw a value pick in there, uh, just for the hell of it, I'll go with Chase Elliott plus 130 over Harvick. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that Harvick has looked better today than Elliott has. But when you look at their average finish at Darlington, Harvick's at around 14 and, and Elliott's around 16. Now, let me again preface that with saying Harvick has 22 starts there and Chase only has four. But I feel like if you're looking for some value, I don't think Harvick's going to blow the doors off anybody this weekend. And I think Chase you know, may be in a, a good position to capitalize on other people's mistakes and, and maybe sneak up ahead. So if you're looking for a value pick, I'll, I'll take a shot in the dark and go with that one. So at this point in time, we're going to switch again and go back to the money line picks. But this time it's going to be for top 10. And I've had a lot of fun over the past few weeks picking the top 10 money line picks. It's been working out for me. And I want to start with some guys that I'm probably going to avoid. Brian Blaney and Alex Bowman and Matt DiBenedetto. They are going off at plus 100, plus 115, and plus 115, respectively. And all three of these guys have struggled at Darlington. All of them haven't had that much experience at Darlington, very similar amongst themselves. But I'm going to stay away from all three of them, um, even to finish in the top 10. I mean, it definitely could happen. Um, but I am just going to avoid them and try to go for more of a deeper play than those guys. I mean, Blaney, he, he hasn't looked good today with the history there just not worth it at plus 100. Bowman, I feel like he's just kind of out there to keep the car clean. He's got a cool race car, throwback to a Folgers car um, from a long time ago, and the paint scheme is very cool. But at plus 15, that's not decent enough value for me. And Matt DiBenedetto, um, I, I feel like the magic wears off for him this weekend at a track that he's not that good at. He's got a lot of eyes shining on him now. I don't think he performs like he did a couple weeks ago, so we'll avoid those guys. Um, I think there's some value with Suarez. I mentioned him already, plus 165. I, you know, I do think he's trying to keep the car clean and just get a good points day. But you know, you're going to be running hard, and, and I think he's worth a shot at plus 165 to finish in the top 10. Stenhouse at plus 300. He's a he's a crazy sob. I mean, he finished with the best lap in second practice. He led second practice um, on the chart for you know the one single lap, and that's what gets the headline on the, the website and everything like that. So he has a car that can you know produce speed, I guess, um, but obviously you know he hasn't had that ability. I mean, that stable over there at Roush overall is just not great. But plus 300, why not? I mean, he's he's the type of guy, every time I think of him, I think of the type of guy who is just not caring about anybody's feelings or anything. He'll move you out of the way. He'll wreck you. He'll do dumb stuff and piss everybody off. But at the end of the day, he's like ninth. So uh, this feels like that could be one of those rate tracks for him. I was ready to say Eric Amarola for my top 10 pick, but they're moving to a backup car. That scares me. They had no time to practice on that backup car, so they're basically going to be feeling it out and qualifying. I hate that. So I'm going to avoid Amarola. And then the only other one of, of decent value, 
would be William Byron at plus 165 or Austin Dillon at plus 200. I really want to cheer for Austin Dillon and, and put money on him. His car looks pretty sick. It's a throwback to his grandfather's car, Richard Childress. And um, he just doesn't look good in practice this week. He's looked terrible for multiple races in a row. And I really want to, to throw something on him. Uh, but plus 200 for him to finish in the top 10, it's risky. I mean, he, he was earlier in the season. I might not hesitate to do that. Um, but so it might take a few, uh, I mean, Labor Day weekend, maybe after a few drinks, the wallet gets a little lubricated and I might be more inclined to throw some money on somebody like Austin Dillon. Byron, I feel like is, is close. I mean, he's finished in the top 10 before, obviously, but um, I've made it very clear that I don't trust him. I'm going to say, you know what, this is the week that William Byron and I become friends. I'm going to take him at plus 165 or better um, as the, the line changes one way or the other. I'm going to take him to finish in the top 10. That's a lock. I'm going to do that, and we're going to see whether or not William Byron and I are friends for the rest of the season or if we're enemies. And we'll finish off the picks portion of the podcast with something we haven't really done before, and that's going to be looking at the uh, manufacturers and the best driver for each one because what that does is it eliminates the playing field uh, for who you're betting on so your guy that you choose if you choose somebody to win for that manufacturer who the top driver will be for Ford Toyota and Chevy so you have less guys that you have to beat so I'm going to take some guys for these different manufacturers that maybe uh, we haven't touched on so for Ford I mean, talked about Harvick, I talked about Logano, but Kozlowski, I mean, he won this race last year. He's going off to win the Ford camp at plus 275. Um, I don't mind that. I think he's been fast. He's been in the top 10 uh, in both practices so far today. So I don't see a reason why I wouldn't, you know, if I have money on uh, Harvick or, you know, look, I, I mentioned I don't like Logano this week. Uh, so I'll, I'll take Kozlowski at plus 275 to win Ford, no problem. The next guy down the list is Blaney at plus 900, and I already mentioned that I don't really like him at Darlington. So I'm going to go with Kozlowski to win the Ford camp probably at 275. With Chevy, I'm going to go with a guy that I think uh, I mentioned earlier as a long shot to win the race, but to win the Ford camp, He's the third favor, and that's Kurt Busch at plus 600. That's some pretty good value there. He's got to beat out Kyle Larson and Chase Elliott um, if he wants to you know, cash that ticket for me. Alex Bowman is in this race with uh, plus 900, and then Jimmy Johnson plus 1,100. Um, I think Kurt Busch, I mean, if things don't go right, obviously I have money on Chase and Larson to win the race, but if things don't go right for them, Kurt Busch could be there, and I think he could lead the Chevy camp, and plus 600 is a very good value for such a small group of drivers so uh, that actually have a chance to, to lead that Chevy camp. So mark me down for Kurt Busch to win Chevy's race on Sunday. And then Toyota is really the, the smallest of the groups. Uh, they've got six drivers. It's Kyle Busch and Denny Hamlin both, and Martin Truex at plus 225, so they're all the same. Eric Jones is plus 500. Debetta Deno, 1,300. And then Joey Gase, I mean, thanks for coming out. Um, I think it's 500,000. Am I reading that correctly? No, 50,000. Sorry, a lot of small zeros there. Um, so, I mean, this is a case where we talked about pretty much all of these guys. Um, I would probably, this is one where, you know, I, I took money on uh, Kyle Busch, Hamlin, and Jones earlier when I was talking about to win. 
in this case, I you know I probably will lay off this, but if you're really dying to bet on this one, I, I may just take Truex plus two twenty five to beat those other guys, just in case things you know fall off the rails for the others um, for the whole race. So and it's you know you basically have to just pick a guy to win out of six drivers. So they're some of the best ones in the field, but it uh, definitely a tougher bet. So I may end up laying off of this come race day. And then the final bet that is out there right now is the manufacturer of the winning car and Ford is the favorite at plus 155 Toyota goes off at 175 and then Chevy at plus 225 I'm going to roll with Toyota there at plus 175 I think when you look at their stable of guys I mean the Joe Gibbs camp it's basically them versus everybody I mean do you think Joe Gibbs is going to win yes or no is is really the question and I would say that all of their guys have a legitimate chance to win this race, and um, it makes total sense that you know. If, and if you're looking for value out of this, I mean, they're not the favorite, and they're not the total underdog. They're right in the middle. You know, porridge too hot, porridge too cold. Nope, this one's just right. Toyota is going to be my pick for the manufacturer of the winning car. So we're going to close this out once again with uh, my final thoughts on ways that we can make betting on NASCAR better, more intriguing. And in this case, it kind of overlaps with a way to make the NASCAR sport more intriguing in general. And when Darlington comes up every year, you're going to hear the term crown jewel thrown out there a lot. And, you know, a lot of people in racing say that there are crown jewel races that people just care more about. And that typically comes into play with Daytona 500, the Coke 600, and the Southern 500, but we don't really know what that fourth one is. And and I think that it would behoove NASCAR to go all in on this concept of majors, or if they want to call it crown jewels, so be it. Other sports benefit from this. These other sports that are not part of the big four, you know, football, baseball, basketball, hockey, they don't need to worry about this. But golf and tennis, they're a little bit different. You know, they're kind of off the beaten trail when it comes to popularity, and that's kind of where NASCAR is right now. So if they market this crown jewel or this major concept, then I think that's how you suck people back in. Because it's no secret that viewership is down, the attendance at the tracks are down a bit, and what better way to kind of reel someone in, a casual fan that we're talking about here, then advertising for these majors and then really going all out on the marketing for that and having someone tune in and say like, oh, well, this is a major. They end up watching the race for that major and maybe they tune in the next week and the week after. I mean, it happens every year for golf. I mean, people love watching the majors and then after that, they're like, oh, well, maybe I will tune in to watch you know a couple of these other smaller tournaments. It makes total sense. Now, when we're talking about the logistics of it for NASCAR, you're going to have to define what those majors are. We named three of them. There's a lot of talk that the Bristol Night Race is a fourth crown jewel race, which to me makes sense. But the problem that you would have at that point is the fact that they're back-to-back on the schedule. You cannot have that. It has to be spaced out. Um, Golf has recently spaced out their majors to make it one every month throughout the summer because it's just too much to have two majors real close to each other. So NASCAR would have to look at that. You'd also have to look at giving out more points because 
that's what makes it a major to the drivers. I mean, if you're going to advertise it this way, there has to be some more skin in the game for the drivers themselves. And whether it's money or points, NASCAR would have to figure out a way to do that. In addition, I think it would make sense for the week leading up to that race, there may be some smaller events that go on throughout the week that people can get interested in. You know, there's at the Masters for golf, you have the par three tournament, you have the practice rounds where you see the the caddies are significant others or other people in their lives. Like people tune in for that stuff. People go to the, the course to see that stuff. And I think there could be pit crew challenges or, you know, go-kart races or, or whatever, you know, NASCAR can get crazy with it. But the point being is you kind of lead up to the big event at the end and, and you make sure that every major, by the way, has a truck race an Xfinity race and a cup race all at that track. I mean, you have to showcase all three in a major and, and those smaller events like a pit crew tournament or, or whatever, you would involve all three series in those types of things because you're showcasing everything that you have. And that's where the sports betting comes into play once again, because if you have these majors, you now have a mainstream platform to really advertise, you know, the fact that you can bet on NASCAR. And that's another way, as I talked about on the previous episode, it sucks people in. Think about it, the horse racing, you have the Preakness, the Kentucky Derby and the Belmont. I mean, those are the majors in, those are the triple crown for horse racing. and, And that's where most of the betting takes place. So that's an opportunity for NASCAR to really showcase gambling on NASCAR as well. And it's pretty simple the way you would do that. It's just through all of those minor events, whether it's practice or you know any type of um, time where there's cars on the tracks, you, you have the announcers kind of discussing the odds to win the race or head-to-head matchups or making it more prevalent in the broadcast because now you know you have people thinking about what they're going to bet on or the fact that they can do it. And the fact that the broadcast is promoting it makes it seem like, okay, well, this is just kind of part of the show now. And that's what you're really aiming for at the end of the day. So that's the rant for this week. Crown Jewel races, majors, whatever you want to call it. NASCAR really needs to look into doing that. I think it would go a long way. And I'm not the only one. I'm not the first person to ever think of this. I'm not going to be the last person to say it. But it just makes total sense. And if the sanctioning body is listening, make it happen The fans want it. So that's going to do it for another edition of the Full Tank with Phil podcast. We hope that you go out, you watch them qualifying. You don't bet on anybody that finishes qualifying outside of the top 20. And you take those head-to-head picks that I had and you go and you cash in. And you have yourself a really good Labor Day weekend. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time.